Welcome to That's Derm Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, especially medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. Today, my guest is Dr. Scott Drew, doctor of osteopathic medicine and board-certified dermatologist. So it is doctor of osteopathic medicine, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So tell me what exactly that means. So, you know, ancient history, back in 1892, a gentleman named A.T. Still, Andrew Taylor Still, opened a medical school in Kirksville, Missouri, where I happened to go. And when I went to medical school in uh, 1983, there were only 13 DO medical schools in the nation. Now there are 63 of them. So about one in eight new medical students is an osteopathic medical student. And so really it's a philosophic issue. While there is an extra course in medical school on what's called osteopathic medicine, which is about, it's a philosophical issue about treating the whole body and it is like a person has diabetes, not you're diabetic. And it fits very well into Durham because, you know, the skin is the window into the soul. So mm-hmm. it's always fun when I have a medical student with me and I'll look at the patient and I'll ask the student, well, what do you think this person's blood pressure or blood sugar is? And I'm like, oh, and I say, well, look at their legs. Look at the cutaneous signs of systemic disease that you may have a clue as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So there are dermatology residency programs that are based at DO hospitals and DO medical schools. Mm -hmm. And there are MD programs and they're very, very similar. I would say back in the 1910s and 1920s, there was quite a bit of change. Now I would say most people, there might be quite a, an intermingling. There might not be so much of a distinction. In fact, the uh, head physician at the white house, both during Trump and Biden is a DO. That's interesting. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. So you said that you have a lot of residents that come in. We do. You know, I think it's one of the joys of dermatology is not only do we teach and educate our patients, but we have to educate the next generation, right? Someone's got to take care of our skin disease as we cure. So we have not only residents and interns in the derm space, we have people who are not dermatology because, you know, the vast majority of melanomas are not diagnosed diagnosed by derms, at least initially, you know, they're seen by primary care or OB-GYN. But we also have a lot of young people come in who are in college, who are considering a career in medicine in general. And there's a lot, uh, you know, I, I, I hear some say, oh, medicine is not what it used to be. It's not the same. And, and granted, it's not what it used to be, but it's still a calling, you know, mm-hmm. and if medicine is in your DNA, you can't run from it. You know, you might find some other diversion and, you know, take a gap year or do something else, but you're going to get pulled back. And sometimes I think Derm chooses us. I don't think I have the DNA to be an orthopedic surgeon or certainly not an internist. And when I wake up in the morning, I trot to work because I know I'm going to have a good day treating AD and psoriasis and skin cancer and all the things that we do, because Mm -hmm. I don't know of any other specialty that has the quality of life that we have. You know, when I lecture or have the opportunity to lecture, which I love to share my experiences, I like to tell young folks particularly that no other specialty has the sort of gift that we have where people's quality of life is so impacted by what we do. When our colleagues in primary care get some of their treatment goal, their A1C is four, their blood pressure is 120 over 80. It's like, yay, go have some celery. 
And when our people get to PASI zero or easy zero or their 11s are gone or whatever, they see the reaction of that. Mm -hmm. And so many people that aren't in our space don't understand the impact, the negative impact of the burden of disease that psoriasis and AD and alopecia areata have on people. When our patients reach those treatment goals, they are relieved of the burden. They can pull out that little black dress and not worry about the dandruff. They can wear shorts and flip-flops and not be embarrassed by the scourge of psoriatic plaques in the elbows or psoriatic nail disease. Mm -hmm. And so they re-engage in life. They go on job interviews, they date, and we get to be a part of that. And so when I leave the office every night, I'm like, oh, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Smith, Mr. Jones, they're like, they're happy because of what we did. And that gives a certain, it certainly helps a patient's quality of life, but it makes mm-hmm. our quality of life pretty good too. So I like to share the joy of Durham with young people and encourage them to get involved because it's really a, a great specialty. Yeah, it's so true. You said it so well, because even as a biologic coordinator, we get to see that and we get to walk that journey with the patients and see, you know, from starting on when they came into the office and, you know, maybe they've got, they're completely covered with psoriasis or eczema or, you know, but they're coming in and they're miserable and they're frustrated. But after getting them started on a medication that works, that is amazing. And that's changing their life. Like you said, it's an amazing journey and it makes you feel so good to be part of that process. And, and I think that's one of the things that really drew me in as being a biologic coordinator is I'm like, man, I, I get to make a difference in so many lives and it's, it's so exciting. I love being able to help patients. And I think, you know, in general, we're drawn into the healthcare field because we care and we have a passion to help others. And it's really amazing to see. And I do love that. So I saw back in June, your daughter graduated. Is she in dermatologist now? Well, she is in the match right now. We're optimistic. Yes. So she is very enthused about this. She is going to be at the Ohio Derm Association. And she's presenting a paper that she wrote in in concert with others on pipeline and dermatology. And very proud Papa Mo and I, she asked me if I would put her. And so I did. And her mom and I struggled to not blubber through the entire ceremony. (laughs) We did not succeed. And I was able to hood her and uh, walk across the stage with her. And she has been, you know, uh, she grew up at the dermatology dinner table, obviously. And like many people, she had a not a direct path. She went to pharma for a while. She did some uh, overseas relief work in Kenya for a while. And so, uh, yeah, she's joined and we're very, very excited. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. I saw that. And you said, you know, it's in, it's in your DNA, right? It's in her but DNA. <laughs> there it is. You're exactly right. Yeah. That's thank you for, thank you for noticing that. And yeah. I want to tailwind on your other comment there about your biocoordinating work, which just reminds me that this is a great time to be in Durham because I mean, we always have advances in science. But, you know, for so many years, we had so little we could do for people, mm-hmm. you know, for alopecia areata, for psoriasis, for chronic AD, we were pretty limited in things we could do. And when we did have something oh. successful, it was full on toward events and AEs, et cetera. And now we have medicines that are so safe and so easy. It's actually kind of fun to go to work. I was at a meeting this weekend in Nashville. The speaker made a comment about I want to talk about HS. How many people here like to treat HS patients? 
there's probably 300 people in the room and there was only me. I was the only person that raised my hand. Hmm. Um, now we do some clinical trials and I, I know what's coming up and there's some exciting things in HS. And, you know, five years ago, all we had was empathy. You know, yeah. we didn't have really much to help yeah. these people. And so now I'm looking forward to it. And I know others are really ramped up about this approval of mm -hmm. at least two, if not four drugs very, very soon, yeah. which is just really going to change the landscape of HS. And of course, I don't know many diseases besides hydroabnitis that have such a huge burden and such a right. diminution of quality of life. So yeah. we're going to have safe, effective options that really will return people to the life force, the workforce, the, mm -hmm. the, the community force, all that stuff. Right. So do you feel like the reason why not very many people raised their hand for that question was because there's never really been that much access? It's just one of those diseases when you have so few options. And candidly, Janelle, unfortunately, HS has been a disease of blame for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, the disease is predominantly women and has a disproportionate effect on people of color. Mm -hmm. And they go to the, whatever doctor they go to, and, you know, the answer is, oh my gosh, you're too fat, you're too lazy, you're too dirty, you're too... It's, this is mm -hmm. all your fault. If your life was better and you did made better choices, you wouldn't have this. So let me lance this boil for you. Mm -hmm. And you know the story. It's not a boil. You can't lance it. They end up uh, going to the ER. And after five or six or seven times get smacked down, you disengage from the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is that resulted in sort of an internet network of support systems for other people who suffer from HS. Right. And now the word's getting out that, ah, oh. so I have about listed about 65 people waiting and they're all on current approved available therapies and combination therapies, but they're all waiting for these new releases. Bimikizumab and Rinvoke and uh, Cosentix are all gonna be major players as monotherapy or in combination with other things. And then there's the whole issue of semiglutides and help people lose weight. Because, you know, so many people who have HS suffer the burden of obesity as well. So if you combine anti-obesity therapy, anti-nicotine therapy, appropriate anti-HS therapy, you get people who literally don't go to school because they're too yeah. embarrassed about the smell or the drainage or the discomfort or the mm -hmm. fear of, oh, my gosh, one of these is going to rupture and I'm going to have a pus attack in the middle of my right. whatever, my science class or, or walking from building A to building B. And I am sure like you have plenty of patients who have chosen to not do things because right. of the embarrassment. And I, oh my gosh, think about going to a meeting, you got a whole pack of whole, another suitcase of stuff mm -hmm. to, to as absorbance, yeah. et cetera. So this is really an exciting advancement. Now there've been advances in medicine all over, not just in Durham, obviously, mm -hmm. but in our space, there's been so many answers to chronic diseases and then for other drugs like the IL-4, IL-13 class, you know, I think we're going to have some answers there in random um, orphan diseases that aren't treated that are all of a sudden, wow, this happens yeah. to work in these patients. And that's really exciting too. Yeah, it is exciting. So what about with these biosimilars that are coming out? I mean, you know, Humira has been around for so long and now there's just a whole influx of biosimilars. Do you feel like that is 
kind of just thrown a wrench into the process or I think it's so timely because now I have eight more reps calling on me which yeah. is not something I need but what troubles me about those the patients aren't seeing any of that cost saving and if all of a sudden the drug was half price like well let's think about it for a minute but that's not the case right the and the other thing I'm not loving it is it's not like you or I have any control over whether patients going to get Humera or Julio or whatever they, they're called. Mm-hmm. There's so many I can't keep them straight. And then I fear that, you know, my patients like, oh, Dr. Drew, thank you. I got my little gray and purple cartridge. Thank you. Well, the next week they're going to get a green syringe and then they're going to get an orange injector. Mm-hmm. So the patient, they don't like it when they call and I say, you know, my cream used to be white cream. Now it's a thick ointment. And they're like, I'm not mm-hmm. taking that. So it's right. one more layer of, of that. I wish they would, this by a similar class, would afford some option that made it so inexpensive. The other part of that is we and I have no control which one they're going to get. The PBMs who, Mm -hmm. you know, all the negative press we sometimes get for costs, et cetera, the pharma Mm -hmm. companies, the doctors, the hospitals, the PBMs are the ones that really are the devil in the black dress. You know, Mm -hmm. they control so much of what we do. And right. they will be the ones in charge of which biosimilar our patients going to get. Mm-hmm. So I would say the opportunity for being excited is there if it were to increase access and decrease costs, but I'm not seeing that yet. Yeah, no, it's early. It's yeah. early. So we'll see. I, it does. It causes a burden um, when it comes to access. And, you know, when, when we're working to make sure that patients are getting the medications that you prescribe, I mean, that's, that's got to be one of the most frustrating things for you is when you're mm-hmm. seeing a patient, you're treating a patient, you know their history, you know what would work great for them because that's what you went to school and you studied for. And then the insurance comes back and says, well, we think that they need to try this medication first. It's so you know, frustrating, just, uh, particularly, it, and again, it's all about cost because particularly some of those drugs aren't indicated. Like if you're going to write, you're writing for AD and they say, oh, you need to try Imuran or Celsep first. I'm like, what? Uh, but because mm-hmm. that's cheaper than Dupixit or Adbury or Rinvoke or any of the others. And, and sadly, Janelle, I'm old enough to remember the day when I got my first prior author request. It was for Trebenefit, a branded Lamisil, early 90s. And I have watched that through. The, I guess the good news is that it has launched a career for the biocoordinators and I have to give a shout out to them. Uh, you know, my bio coordinator depend on, actually, John, I have two now. I have a, a okay. her and a him. Uh, I have Ellie and I have Sal. And what that has given me is an extra ombudsman in the office because mm-hmm. they talk to patients and they, re, you know, sometimes a patient thinks, oh, Dr. Drew's too busy or blah, blah, blah. Um, and now the bio coordinator is one extra touch point in our office, an extra phone number, and things mm-hmm. don't fall through the cracks. And right. if there's, I gave a lecture in Dayton on Monday night to someone who had never written a biologic before and wow. not because of efficacy or safety, but because of process. And I said, uh, Doc, let me be your bio buddy. Let me be, when mm-hmm. you identify a patient that you think would be appropriate for this particular talk was on an AD medication. When you find that AD patient, you have your bio coordinator call my bio coordinator and you call me mm-hmm. and we'll get through this together. 
Because I tell people the first time you write a biologic or a JAK inhibitor or, you know, septic 2 it's like flying to first after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Where, where do I put my liquids? How do, how do I pack? What can I, what, what, what do I, where do I, how, what's security going to be like? And you need some reassurance because they're not right. easy. And probably the first time you write one, it's going to get denied because you're not going to do it right. What do you mm-hmm. put in the note? What do you, how do you, a shot? What do you mean I'm giving my patient a shot? I, we use creams and pills. We don't use shots. Mm-hmm. So, and sure enough, on Wednesday morning, I got a phone call. And <laughs> so it's that one-to-one peer-to-peer yeah. education, like this podcast we're doing today. I hope it reaches someone and they say, oh, and I tell people, you know, we have navigated medical school and residency. We know what it's like to be Monday at the VA and Tuesday at the prison and Wednesday at the clinic and Friday in the ICU. Mm-hmm. We can navigate writing a prescription. So yeah. we just have to make that process easier. And the BCOD and you and your leadership there has uh, opened doors for people to rise to their level in the practice to do things that heretofore they weren't able to do. Right. So, you know, my MAs and my LPNs and my RNs, they do a lot of stuff for me in the office that through their training, they've been able to do. It's not just mm-hmm. answering phones or moving patients. They actually right. counsel patients and educate patients and make them more of their choices. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that makes people much happier in their workplace and when you're happy in the workplace, it's more meaningful. There's less turnover. And patients yeah. know when they come into the office and the entire staff is new, right? Right. And, you know, well, not, they don't have that in my office, thankfully, but um, patients know that. And so I think it makes it just better for the whole healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes such a huge difference when when your team is is educated because you know part of the role of the biologic coordinator is understanding the insurance landscape to the point where we know what's needed for to be able to get the approvals with the insurance. There's so many insurance changes often, and this is one of the things that you know I always talk about is the documentation is key. It makes such a huge difference when it comes to access because insurance wants to know everything now. They're very particular and it's becoming more and more particular because I think maybe it's because there's new drugs out or, you know, the insurance just is changing, but they want to see the documentation. They're not going to just take our word for it and say, oh yeah, this patient needs a medication. And there's so much pushback, but I feel like a lot of times what gets missed is how it's being documented how it's being portrayed and how we're painting that picture of why this patient really needs the psoriasis medication over a topical that's probably not going to make any difference for you know an 80% bsa patient you know and you know we don't ordinarily realize what goes on after we leave the room mm-hmm. so I'm like oh mrs jones you need skyrizi or trivia or you need to picks in a renvoke and then we leave the room and then the entire storm of events happens mm-hmm. you got to fill this form we got to send the bridge paperwork in we have to do this and this is all outside of us and while that's going on and we're in the next room the patient is saying to the bio coordinator is this drug safe do you, does he have mm-hmm. other people taking this drug i i read these are immunosuppressants am i going to get tb from this and the educated bio coordinator or MA or LPN or RN or whoever's in the office is going to say, no, oh my gosh, we've written 10 scripts this month for this drug. 
And oh my God. Da, 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 da. So they're another advocate, another touch point for the patient to mm-hmm. have confidence. Or the issue that happens so often, the patient will call and say, Hey, I'm having a knee replacement next week, or I'm giving my I have a hysterectomy, and my doctor told me to stop my Dupixitor Sky Rizzi. Yeah. Because they are, you know, rightfully, they're, they want to have no infections. But so few people outside of our space understand these drugs that, barring the TNF class, really aren't immunosuppressives. And the patient now has an extra phone call to make. Mm-hmm. They have their bio buddy in the office. Because like, oh, I know Dr. Drew's too busy to call me. Although we would, you know, they could still call. But now they have someone they can talk to who is advocate for them, who is going mm-hmm. to be able to reassure them and, and, and help them not have to worry about issues and put their fears away so they can be further along in their journey than they otherwise would be. Because these drugs are new. I mean, they're not new. I mean, they're, we've been using Humira for 16, 17 years now, but there are more refined drugs now and there are drugs that are more targeted and, mm-hmm. and other drugs. So now, but you know, it's also interesting to know, I still have people that come in and they'll say, oh, you take care of psoriasis too. So I do think <laughs> we're a misunderstood specialty because so many people view us as people still in the cosmetic world. And so yeah. on social media and when I'm talking to people who are not in our space, I'm like, oh, we take care of skin, hair, and nails. We are the primary care doctor of the skin, hair, and nails. You know, in my office, I have pictures all over the wall uh, in every room of things that are somewhat maybe unexpected to the novitiate. I have a, a poster that's a oh, hundred years old from the original branded Lamisil. And people say, Oh my God, my toes look like that. And <laughs> that's not why I'm here. I'm here for this, that, or another thing, but you take care of toenails and, uh, or yeah. I'll have a picture of androgenic alopecia or, or alopecia areata. And like, you do hair like mm-hmm. I do. And so in addition to their other chief complaint, we end up addressing other things. And again, through programs like what you're doing today, as well as peer-to-peer and CME and DTC, people learn more and more about what we do. And that helps. And again, so many people don't understand that diseases like psoriasis and AD are really systemic disease. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I have this rash on my knee. Right. I have joint pain. I have metabolic syndrome. I have obesity as a result of my inability to exercise. And it's an eye-opening thing when people say, really? I feel like there's starting to become a little bit more awareness, being able to talk openly about psoriasis and eczema. And I don't know, I just feel like it's starting to grow a little bit more. But even with like alopecia, because I feel like that was never really talked about And now all of a sudden, you know, now that we've got, you know, some drugs available for it, but I feel like there's a little bit more talk about it and people are a little bit more open. And I think that's great just to creating that, creating that awareness. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. was one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast was so that I can create those conversations and, and talk about it so that people, oh, I didn't know that I should go see a dermatologist. Let's take a quick break to hear from Prescriber Point. If you're like me, you're tired of browsing for drug resources all over the web. With Prescriber Point, I can find prescribing and coverage information, prior authorization forms, patient assistance programs, and more for over 35,000 drugs. Prescriber Point is your free AI-powered assistant that makes your life easier and gets your patients on therapy faster. 
Get started with a free account or request a demo at prescriberpoint.com slash that's derm good. Mm-hmm. Because these FDA rules were like 50% of advertising has to be AEs, people will be watching, you know, Dancing with the Stars and see an advertisement for a biologic or an anti-alopecia drug. And then it'll say, oh, you know, this drug can cause death, dismemberment <laughs> and, you know, turn your hair purple and make yeah. it drop dead. And so then people become like, oh, mm-hmm. and so this conversation helps people understand the risk benefit profile and helps to become more informed. And when they go to the dermatologist or dermatology PA or NP, they are able to be prepared for conversation about that and we can help them through it. Right. And frankly, I tell people, you know, life is not AE free. Um, you know, we all drive cars and none of us would, none of us would drive a car if we read the package insert for it. And I you know, remind people that ibuprofen has a black box. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to help mitigate side effects. And side effect does not mean death. Side effect means, oh, there's something we got to work on. We have to, we have to manage this event for you. And right. so uh, I think it's important that we are able to part of that and guide people to, to a journey beyond the suffering of their disease. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like you see on the other side of things where patients are coming in asking about this? Well, I saw this on TV. Can I, you prescribe this for me? And you're like, oh, um, I don't need, you don't need that one yet. Do you need this one or? <laughs> that's so funny you say that. So I view the DC commercials as engines that drive patients in. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind so much. I know some people are like, oh, you should never teach a non-dermatologist anything about derm. I don't subscribe to that theory because I think all patients, if they go somewhere else and don't get better, they eventually find their way to us. What I do see is this DTC advertising and, and whether it's print or media or internet media or TV, it drives people in. And sometimes you're ill-informed, like, I need this biologic for my psoriasis. Well, actually, you don't have psoriasis. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> well, you kind of don't. You kind of have AD. Well, my uncle has it. It looks just like that. Um, Dr. Google. We, <laughs> yeah, but we have some experience with that, you know. There's this really unfortunate disease, delusions of prestosis and compulsive excoriation and the black mold disease. And I think it's our job to educate people and help them understand and steer them in the direction of what's going on. And it's a rare, rare patient that I can't, you know, walk down the correct path. And then all, you know, you can say, well, you know what, why don't we just do a biopsy? And that always, mm-hmm. that always helps. So what would you say right now your biggest challenge to access would be? Okay, so because uh, I practice in a relatively small town, my biggest access to challenge in general is how do I make more time in the day? Because mm-hmm. I, I work hard. I know we're seeing 50 people a day, six people wow. a day, and there is no more time. And people bring their neighbor with one visit to say, Can you see Sue's arm today? <laughs> Can you? And, and my, if I go to the grocery store, which I try not to do for a variety of reasons, but I get asked. Mm -hmm. Uh, I envy my colleagues who live in New York City who never see a patient they know, right? But there's just not enough time in the day and there aren't Mm -hmm. enough residency slots and and that's because there aren't enough training slots. And so that's frustrating. So we hire more people, but, you know, we do have limitations of space and that's my primary frustration. Mm -hmm. My secondary frustration would be inability to quickly access therapeutics in the mm-hmm. AD space, in the psoriasis space, in the alopecia space, fortunately, I have lots of samples. 
and we're such a big inflammatory disease referral center that I have great access to sampling and great access to bridge programming, mainly because we do it a lot. Right. If you get on that bicycle often enough, you're going to learn how to ride the bike. Mm-hmm. So my bio coordinators, whom I love, who make my job so easy and so rewarding, they enable me to do what we do. But I can see if you've never written a biologic before, mm-hmm. like, well, how do I do this? Right. And you may be in downtown Manhattan or San Francisco or Austin or Marion, Ohio. And if you're a bio coordinator, you are still on the island to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you got a stack of paperwork a mile high with denials. Like, yeah. what do I do? Who do I turn to? And my bio coordinator after coming to your meeting, I think it's two weeks, I think, in San Antonio. Yeah. And they're going to network with other people. And they both speak for various pharma companies to other bio coordinators or would-be bio coordinators. And let's face it, if you're only writing a biologic a month, you probably don't need a bio coordinator. You just need someone mm-hmm. to help you through the process. And it's all about breaking down the walls of obstacles. And it's not just biologics. I mean, what if you're writing Accutane? You look at this iPlace program, which is right. ridiculous, but it's another onus. And it makes people think, oh, I shouldn't take this drug with all this paperwork. Right. So it's it's not just that. And if, if you're a transplant patient and you need someone to prevent more skin cancers, you know, acetretin is not easy to get and not cheap. And, you know, I'm not sure we're totally out of the lidocaine shortage. Uh, we were there for a while having a hard mm-hmm. time getting lidocaine for, for anesthesia. And, yeah. you know, we do a lot of surgery. And fortunately, we never had it. We were never out but we were on the fear of being out. And that's, again, the beauty of dermatology is that it's a very small specialty and you're mm-hmm. never more than two Kevin Bacons away from somebody. <laughs> like you go to a meeting, oh, do you know so-and-so? And yeah, it turns out you probably do. And so we were able to avoid that problem. But I was just on social media two nights ago and I saw somebody asking about lidocaine. So mm-hmm. those yeah. are some frustrations. I like guidelines because they help people mm-hmm. understand things. I'm not a fan of rules. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to remember that we are the smartest people about our organ than anybody else. We know skin, mm-hmm. we know hair, we know nails better than anybody. And we have to be in control of that. Right. And if we let some administrator or someone else in charge of our department or our clinic tell us, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should use this kind of thread. You should use this biologic. Right. Then we run into danger. So I am not opposed to any administrative style, whether you're in academics or VA or private equity or multi-group or specialty group or solo practice. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important that the practitioner have a position of authority where they Mm -hmm. can say, I need another MA. I need this uh, in order to practice better. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's critical that we as a specialty continue to, to support each other and to rise each other up. And as my daughter, who I'm very proud of, taught me, you have to throw shine, not shade. Yeah. <laughs> and um, everyone, everyone has some shine that, that they can see. And when you work together to make things elevate, it all, it just is a yeah. better, easier experience for everybody. I like that. That's a good way to put it. That's a good one. So you've done some missionary trips. We do. So a long time ago, oh my God, so long ago. And it was Jonah Shackney from Metasys said, you want to go to Kenya? And I said, oh, that sounds cool. When? He goes, Thursday. I'm like, (laughs) oh, so I went. 
And that was 30 trips ago. So wow. we go to our, the group I do most of my work with is called Power of a Nickel, but we, we do one with Tiny Hearts of Hope. I go with the folks at Harvard, with Rox Anderson and I think Tron. We go to Vietnam and, and we do vascular work on young people and, and old people who have a disproportionate amount of vascular proliferative diseases. And what we find is people are the same. Mm. Whether you live in Manhattan or whether you live in Uganda, right. you, want to met, you want your family to be happy and safe. You want your kids to have it better than you have, and you want life to be better. Yeah. And so when you, people say, uh, when you go to Nicaragua or Peru or the Philippines, are you safe? I said, I am, because uh, we, we prepare to be safe. But there are places in Marion, Ohio that I wouldn't go because mm-hmm. it's not safe. So we have a team that goes ahead of time that makes sure there's transportation, food, shelter, all of that stuff. We've taken over 30 trips to every continent except except Australia. Um, and actually, we have a trip planned to Vanuatu, so it'll, oh, and not Antarctica. Oh, wow. But uh, we take medical students, we take interns and residents, we take attendings, and then we take lay people. Because people say, what can we do to help? How can we help? And I'll mm-hmm. give an example. When you go to these places, everybody has worms. And so you have a, you have a room of 3000 kids. You have to deworm all these kids and wow. you have to separate those who have been dewormed from those who aren't. And you got mm-hmm. a bunch of four-year-olds who are running around like crazy people. So you have to have, you know, people keep track of, and we have various ways that we do that. Mm-hmm. But like when we go to Kenya, Uganda, Sierra Leone, there's so many comorbidities of TB, HIV, and malaria. Mm-hmm. And you have to, so psoriasis looks different. If you have no T cells, right? <laughs> because of HIV, yeah. give me, uh, uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'm the smart dermatologist. I'm going to save people from their skin problems. Well, in our pre-work, we learned that a big complaint was itchy scalp. So we're like, oh, we can fix that. Well, it turns out that there's such a water shortage in some places that people wash their hair with mud. Oh, wow. Well, giving a cure of shampoo isn't going to help any. And then on my very first trip to Kenya, we saw these people who had this, these crazy rashes and photosensitivity and mental health changes are like, what, what is all this? Wow. And it turns out all the, like Lake Victoria was contaminated with schistosomiasis and all the cows had brucella. So people were eating corn and paint chips, like pica. Wow. And they all had pellagra. Well, I've never seen pellagra. I mean, I've read about pellagra and I took boards on pellagra, but I've never seen pellagra. And also we're putting together well, this person's got this crazy dispigmented rash and they have dementia and they all have diarrhea and they're dying. And they have this big wow. necklace type rash. Wait, that's what derms do. We, we put lists together, right? Like D D D D they've got, they've got pearl. They've got the uh, pellagra. And so we saw a, a cohort of pellagra patients. So the treatment, it really wasn't dermatologic. The treatment was fix the lake and fix the cows and get people mm-hmm. a bowl of captain crunch every week. And their pellagra yeah. will go away. So the mission work we do is a combination of individual, let me take care of this problem, but an Mm -hmm. awful lot of public health. We were in Peru and at the end of our second day, we were all just talking about our days and everybody saw somebody with black lips and black fingertips. Mm. And we're like, well, that just can't be spontaneous. Well, it turns out the, the public health meeting, if you will, we all realized that these people all worked at or congregated at their local pool. And the pool had these lead pipes that were put in in 1870. And all these people had heavy metal poisoning. Oh, and wow. so the treatment wasn't, you know, let me fix your rash. 
let's get these pipes changed. And um, so that was kind of a combination of public health and private health. So we have a trip going to Peru in March and a trip going to Uganda in April, Vietnam in December. And I don't go on all these, obviously. We have, you know, a team of, it's called Power of a Nickel because it started, you know, in the 80s with small donations. And now our recidivism rate is 100%. Once you go, you come back. And Mm -hmm. my wife has gone. My kids have both gone. Extended family have gone. And really, when I discuss this with people, everyone says, oh, my gosh, I want to come. And I was at Diversity in Durham and gave a talk about this. Everybody would like to do one of these. Mm -hmm. The issue is, how do I do that? I just can't show up in Nairobi and say, here I am. Let me take care of people. You just need the preparation. And you want to go with somebody who's been before, which is why our group is always about 40% veterans and 60% newbies. And they go, and if you can't come back, you can spread the word. Mm-hmm. You can send medicine. You can send a donation. You can send t-shirts. You can, there's all, there's a million ways to help. And so you were talking about hospitalic medicine earlier. For 10 years, I was on the board of trustees and I actually chaired the board of trustees of my alma mater in Kirksville, the first year of medical school. And one of the women on our board, Bruce Allen Herring, CEO of United Way of DC. And she introduced me to one of her classmates from Howard, who was the then president of Sierra Leone, hmm. who said, can you come to Sierra Leone? And when the president of a country invites you, I'm like, well, heck <laughs> yeah, I'm coming. And so we went. And guess what? I was the Ooh. first dermatologist ever to step Ooh. foot in Sierra Leone. Wow. A country the size of Connecticut with 17 million people and no dermatologists. So it was pretty humbling, actually. And most of those people had never seen a person with my skin type before. And they like wanted to touch me and touch my hair. And they wanted to ask a million questions about America. They're like, how many dead bodies do you see a day? I'm like, what? <laughs> it, well, well we, we watch you know, detective shows and every, there's murders on every street. I'm like, well, not exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, do you know Kim Kardashian? No, I don't. But then they have rashes. And this is particularly one thing we saw so much of. There's a culture there about, about pigment and what pigment is the best. And there are some very, there's some bad people who are selling bleaching creams that have mercury in them. Wow. And people are getting heavy metal poisoning from mercury application, which, you know, like, what? I do think we do some good work. We like to create web-based continuity of care so that, Mm -hmm. you know, when when you go, if if you're on the, the provider side, you commit to a year's worth of once a month chiming in and doing like what we're doing. And then it's imperative that when you go, you team up with the local providers, A, to make sure there's a need and to make sure that you teach them what you know, and they teach you what they know Mm -hmm. about cultural appropriateness and et cetera. And uh, that you can help them identify things just like we teach interns and medical students how to be, better, how to learn things. I'll give an example of the cultural awareness issue. On my first trip to Kenya, again, this was you know years and years and years ago, uh, we saw a patient who had alopecia areata and she wanted to preserve her hair because in the Kipsigi culture in Kenya, hair is part of your marital nudity. Well, I didn't know that. So I'm like walking up, looking at her, you know, touching her hair and the people are like aghast mm. that I would do that. And of course, 
I didn't know any better. Yeah. And so, well, now I know, and now I teach. And so you have to partner. And when you get to the point like, oh, I know it all. I've seen it all. Oh, I've seen everything. <laughs> That's maybe the time to step back and take a vacation <laughs> because you learn every day and you can learn from everybody. You can learn from a medical student who'll say, well, why are you doing that? Well, I don't know. I've always done it that way. Let me, why did you use Doxy versus Minnow? Oh, I've been doing it so long. I don't even know. And none of us got where we are just because we're woody charming or handsome, right? We get to where we are because we have mentors. I have mentors. Jim Turner's my mentor in Memphis, fabulous human being, um, among many, many, many others. And I think we have to always honor those on whose shoulders we stand because were it not for these people, I would be running my dad's gas station. That's what was my, my life's plan. And so asking for help from those above you is mm-hmm. quite flattering to those above you. Now, yeah. if they're just like a week ahead, a week and a half ahead of you, probably not so much. <laughs> but you know, when you get to a certain point in your career, you want to give back. Right. Um, it's hard to pay back someone who's your residency direct, but it is easy to pay forward. And right. when some young person comes to the office and spends a week with you and says, wow, this is so cool. And when you watch a young person's light go on because of what you've been able to share with them, I just think that's just such a cool thing. And I I do complain a little bit. I go to meetings now. I I was in Nashville last week and I looked around and I thought, I think I'm the oldest person in this room. And I wasn't, thankfully, but I was close. I see all these young folks and they know a lot of stuff. Like they know how to make these cell phones work. And, uh, you know, they've been in the studies in the residency uh, that are like probably beyond the clinical research that most of us do in private practice. But you can learn an awful lot from people and and the bridge building, especially in Durham, because it's so small and so right. relational. And so whether you're on the BCOD side, whether you're on the provider side, the nursing side, the pharma side, there's a network of people to reach out to. And like on our mission work, I have people from pharma that come. I have people who are nurses. We have engineers. We have fence builders. To get Mm -hmm. somebody to buy a well, it's like 50 bucks and it can change the village. And then they hear about how well their well is doing. Then they buy a fence. Then they buy a chicken. And all of a sudden you've changed the micro economy of this place. And it's really just part of that network. Yeah, that's so amazing. Really exciting to hear. Um, If anybody is interested in doing some medical missionary, what is the website? Powerofthenickel.org. Okay. Powerofthenickel.org. And that's awesome. the one I do most of the work with. I go to Vietnam with a certain group, but I go to Peru with Michigan mm-hmm. State University, Dr. Okay. Jody Flanders and Dr. Christy Hawley and Lynette Cass. Go with somebody who's been before with a large group. I don't mean a large, like hundreds, like mm-hmm. 25 or 30 is, the, is a good number. You, you do need a yellow fever shot just once now to make sure you don't mm-hmm. get ill. Right. And, and you got to be aware, like right now, we can't go to Nicaragua because there's a civil war going on. You can't get yourself killed. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help anybody. So you go to a place that's safe and in need. And and thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I'm like, when I go to programs, I always start with, oh, when we're done talking about this drug or that drug, who wants to talk about going to Uganda? And <laughs> let me tell you, that's always a crowd pleaser. That's exciting. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was so good talking to you. Well, thank you, Janelle, for inviting me. And thank you for all you do to help our patients get those drugs. You and your organization, BCOD, all the people that you work with that helps uh, us understand the process and help our patient get the drug. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely be in touch and we'll have to have you come back on again and talk more missionary stuff. But yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. 
You can expect new episodes of That's Darn Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.